0: It seems like a bad dream to me. It seems like it couldn't have really happened, but it did. In the glorious year of 1987, when I was in a children's program, church program, the title of this church program was called Big Gifts Come in Small Packages. And uh, what it entailed was the parents dressing us up in these big cardboard boxes that were wrapped as gifts. So we would, there's holes for your arms and legs, so we kind of walked around on stage with these huge gifts, and at first I was like, oh, this is going to be really fun, and the boys would kind of battle each other with the the big cardboard boxes, but but I soon discovered, man, this thing was really uncomfortable and really hot, and the cardboard was giving me paper cuts, and uh, when you had to use the bathroom, it was really difficult. (laughs) It was trying to be about Jesus, but I, I had no idea what we were doing up there, to be honest. Um, today's scripture invites us to directly engage with Jesus. Um, not just the cutesy sort of garnish that surrounds this season, but to directly interact with Jesus. And And I believe that as we engage with this scripture passage... Well, here a question, and it's this. Given what I have seen and heard in my life, do I really believe, do I really live like Jesus is the one who was to come? Do I live that way, or do I, do I really live and believe that there's someone else or something else? So I invite you this morning to engage with me this question. We'll start by reading Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. You can find that on page 965 in your pew Bible. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, I pray that we would somehow encounter you today, that we would wrestle with the question of the difference you make in our lives, and the difference you long to make in our lives. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I want to give a little bit of context for this passage before we go in. So right before this, this, uh, this episode in Matthew 11, Jesus had sent out his 12 disciples to go proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he gives them power and authority uh, to, to be a sign and symbol of that kingdom, to cast out demons, to, to pro, uh, produce acts of healing. He has blessed the disciples to, to go usher in his kingdom. Uh, the good news, the, the breaking in of the place where God's way has its way, to here and now, that was the good news. It was like yeast and bread. This, this message of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus was ushering in was working its way through Palestine. The way of heaven, the way of God, was colliding with the brokenness of earth. And Jesus was the one that was ushering it in. And this word's getting out. We learned that this good news even reached John in prison. Good news is hard to suppress. And it makes its way to John in prison. Now, this was not the first appearance here in Matthew 11 of of John the Baptist. Last week at Foothill, we learned... uh, from Matthew 3 about John the Baptist. Uh, John was, as hans said, the vegan hippie. Not a vegan, though, we discovered, because he actually was eating locusts, which wouldn't be part of the vegan diet. But uh, he was a fiery preacher. He preached a message of repentance uh, for preparation for the kingdom of God. He warned that judgment was coming. God was going to put things right, so we better get your life in order. Share with those in need. Be merciful. Act justly bear fruits worthy of repentance, he said. And people were flocking to the wilderness to to see John, to hear him. This is John's ministry. Now Jesus, we learn in Luke, was actually related to John. He was like a cousin. And he was actually baptized by John. It's interesting, when John baptizes Jesus, he says, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus uh, allows himself to be baptized by John. Then we learn in Matthew 4 that John was arrested. Looking to Mark, we can discover that John was arrested because he spoke out against King Herod and Herod's scandalous marriage of his brother's wife, Herodias. He ended up in prison like prophets often do. He spoke the truth to an authority, and he paid for it. So now he's in prison. John wants to know about Jesus. He wants to to learn more. He's He's trying to piece it together for himself and for his disciples. He has this awareness of, of the impending kingdom. He has this awareness that, that it's coming, that it's, that it's near, that it's at hand. Yet at the same time, he's familiar with Jesus already. And he starts hearing these reports of deeds of power happening through Jesus and his disciples. And he's trying to piece it together. Is this the one for whom John had been preparing the way? He wants to know. In another sense, John also might, from prison, be wondering if Jesus indeed is the Messiah, why am I still in prison? Wouldn't the Messiah's coming mean that John, the forerunner of the Messiah, wouldn't that mean that he would be set free, or at least be able to keep his head? Why is Herod still in power? Why is Rome still in power if Jesus indeed is the Messiah? John's curious about this. He wants to know how these things could actually work together. Well, quick aside to you. I think this is a question we may all have in our own ways. When we kind of ask Jesus, if you're the one, Jesus, let me know because it sure doesn't feel like it right now. If, if that feels like a question you're asking, that's okay. You have good company with John the Baptist. The important part is to engage Jesus with it. Anyway, so John's disciples come to Jesus with this question, are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? Well, Jesus responds to them. He says, characteristically of Jesus, not yes or no, but he says, report on what you've seen and heard. Typical Jesus, indirect. Like his parables, this this answer encourages engagement with Jesus the categories we approach Jesus with aren't sufficient for him. We come, we come to him wanting a yes or no, but the problem is, is that our yes isn't big enough for the yes that Jesus is. So he wants to reshape our expectations, reshape our, our categories, deconstruct in order to reconstruct the enormity of the good news of the kingdom of God. He's like, it's... it's yes, but if I just said yes, you really wouldn't know what that yes meant. It's like, you got to do some thinking first. The kingdom of God is more hidden than you think, but it's also bigger than you think as well. But he does give some clues. He says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, I think he's alluding here to actually the passage that was read earlier, Isaiah 35, uh, specifically verses 5 through 6, and as well, Isaiah 61, verse 1. Uh, Jesus is saying, if John, the forerunner, the, the one who prepared the way, was foretold in Isaiah, then we should look, uh, continue to look in Isaiah uh, for what you should expect of me. Look in Isaiah to see what the Messiah's ministry is going to be all about. So Jesus is saying, to to know about me, you've got to keep the scriptures in one hand and what I've done and am doing in the other hand. When these things come together, the scriptures and the testimony of Jesus' life, that's the answer right there to whether or not he is the Messiah. When we put these things together, we see that God's kingdom was indeed breaking through in Jesus' Jesus adds an interesting caveat at the end of his response to John's disciples. He says, blessed is he who is not offended or who stumbles because of me. It's interesting. He's saying maybe, maybe I'm different than you expected, but don't let that get in the way from you knowing me. Don't, that, don't let that get in the way between your participation in the kingdom. Maybe the Messiah is different than than John expected, but engage, see and hear, reflect. Don't let the surprise of it block you from missing out on the blessings. We don't really know how uh, John responded to, to these words immediately. I wonder now, Jesus continues his, his discourse, but this time, uh, it's just to the crowd. The disciples go back to John to relay what Jesus had, had told them. And uh, Jesus, in a way, starts to define John's ministry, starts to explain John. And in doing so, helps kind of explain his ministry in a new light as well. He cites Malachi 3.1 uh, in uh, kind of defining who John is, saying John was the messenger to prepare the way of the Messiah. And he says, because of this, because of this, because of his proximity to the Messiah uh, in-breaking in of the kingdom, no one born of women is greater. Which is a pretty phenomenal statement when you think about, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, no one born of women is greater than, than John. Also, John also provides an example of how appearances can be deceiving. Jesus explains this a little bit in verse 8. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He's saying appearances are sometimes deceiving. And Jesus is saying, I, I think he's alluding to the fact that he may appear differently than people in this culture might expect. Don't let appearances or presuppositions make you stumble. Big gifts do come in small packages. Maybe I did learn something from that uh, Christmas uh, program a little bit. Jesus' uh, appearance, his coming, his his ministry was different than people expected. Think about the king that was on the cross. And Jesus goes on to explain as he continues to, to define John's ministry. That as important as John is, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than, than he. This isn't a slide on John. This is, this, is more about to, uh, this is more about alerting us to the importance of what was happening through Jesus as a point of contrast. A radical break in history is that present with Jesus. Uh, with his advent, with his coming, a new availability of life and power is here direct encounter with God's available through Jesus. This is not just another prophet. Another way you could say this is that um, we shouldn't mistake the prologue or the preface for the real story. Let's not mistake the one who prepares the way for the way itself. Let's not mistake the preparation for the event. Don't mistake the prophet for the Messiah. John was the prophet. Jesus is the Messiah, and the availability uh, that's avail- the availability of the kingdom through him is so much greater than what was available before. This is that which it looked forward to. So, uh, the question for us: How do we respond to John? Uh, to Jesus' response to John? How do we respond to Jesus' Sort of request for us to engage with him. Well, I'm going to use the snow globe here for a little bit. Anybody like the snow globe? Anybody like snow globes here? Who owns a snow globe? I, I don't. I had to borrow this one. Um, thinking about Christmas here a little bit. I think with Christmas, we're, we're tempted to snow globe a little bit. We like the sentiment. We like being able to look at the story and kind of have the warm and fuzzies. Um, not just things, you know, secular, but also things sacred. We, we kind of we, we think about the birth story of Jesus and we, we have a warm feeling inside because of it. And that's good. I love the feelings that this season evokes. But I think this passage today tells us we can't just leave it there in this domesticated little ball. We've got to let it out. We need to engage. What have we seen and heard in our own lives? What difference has Jesus made? Nikki Gumbel, who's the vicar of Holy Trinity, Trinity Brompton in, in London and who kind of developed the Alpha Course some of you may be familiar with, loves to ask people this question. He asks them, what difference has Jesus made in your life? What difference has Jesus made in your life? And I love how that just gets to the heart of it. How is the Messiah's coming? His life, death, and resurrection visibly and directly impacted you in all your beauty and brokenness. I was wrestling with this question. What difference has Jesus made in my life? I took time to think about it. And I came away just so grateful for the difference Jesus has made in my life. When, when I look up at the night sky, I don't see a cold, vacant universe. I, I see the embrace of a Heavenly Father who loves me so much that he gave his Son for me, that I might be in relationship with him. When I think about the friendships had, I have, they they wouldn't be what they are without Jesus. I can be humble, broken before my friends. I can be so transparent and know that I'm loved because my friends and I share the love of Jesus. I can have a marriage rooted in covenant love, not the ups and downs of my feelings because of Jesus. I've met people from different cultures. I've gone to different places because of Jesus' invitation. To the kingdom of God. I've stepped off the escalator of finding my identity from status or success because of Jesus. And this is good news. It feels great. None of this stuff happens without Jesus. And when I look at the things I most value in my life, it all points back to Jesus. What difference has Jesus made in your life? See, the snow globe... I, I'm not going to break this because it's not mine, but I'm tempted to like get a hammer and say, we've got to let this story out. We've got to engage with Jesus. Not just think about him. Christmas is about thinking about how he's changed you. What difference it's made that he came. He was born into straw poverty for us. What difference has Jesus made in your life? What have you seen and heard? Don't domesticate Christmas. Don't domesticate it. Let's interface with that Messiah who's come. Let's be least in that kingdom. Know the, the hiddenness but the enormity of the kingdom of God at hand. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, Thank you for inviting us into your kingdom. We're overwhelmed at the beauty of your kingdom, and we long for it to be here and now among us. And we look forward to the day in which your kingdom is over all. Lord, help us to see and to hear what you're doing in our lives, and then to go out and bear witness to that light that has come. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.